Amen. Good morning. So, we all just got through the holidays, right? And uh, me personally, it was a question that I've been asked, how was your holidays, Phil? And um, they were holidays. So, for 14 of 23 days, we had people staying at our house. Yeah. And uh, I like to think of myself as pretty social. I like to think that I like spending time with people, but when it's 14 out of 23, even people I love, I start being a little bit antisocial, and I struggle, and I have to confess, I ran out of gas, and uh, now that the holiday is over, I'm one of those people who's like, yes, back to work, finally. So... Interestingly enough, I've learned that I'm actually very extroverted, but I recharge by being an introvert. Anybody else like that? Yeah? We're kind of an anomaly to a degree because we're not, you know, we, we get energized by people, but we lose energy from people. We want to be around with people, but we also want to be alone. And in this case, because of so much going on, there is very little time to be alone. And uh, I suddenly had this moment of empathy for all of the teenage youth kids that I would drag on these youth trips in which the time was packed 24-7 of social interaction. And I, I was like, these kids I dragged to these camps with the stuff that they went through, not having a moment alone, I was like, man, I, I feel bad. I had an empathetic moment for them. But uh, what I've come to realize is that every single one of us has needs. We have a need to recharge, we have a need to be with people, we have a need to be alone. And it looks differently for all of us. And unfortunately, because that plays out, we all have this need for community, but it looks different for each of us. It doesn't always look the same. And in fact, if you had caught me at the beginning of the Christmas season, you would have found me in a place where I was very much excited and energized to be with people, versus at the end where it's like, can everybody just go home, right? And that's kind of where I was. And for some of us, where one community experience looks really good, it can feel really bad to another person. And just kind of a silly example would be worship music, right? There are some people who they want to dance through the aisles, flipping their hands everywhere. And you know what? There's a place for that. And then there's people like me who's like, I just, you know, I grew up where this is good worship, right? As far as my body goes. Um, and which is right, which is wrong? Well, they're both right, because Jesus can be worshipped anywhere. So that's kind of neat. But then there's also the small group experience. If you're connecting in this thing that we value and we want people to be a part of, you might go to a small group and be like, man, those people shared a lot. I am super uncomfortable with that. Or you might go to a small group and they don't say anything at all. It's like pulling teeth. They asked the questions and we answered it, very matter of fact. And depending on who you are, your needs from these situations look different, making your community experience look different. And therefore, when somebody says, you need to be in community, you're either thinking, yes, I'm excited, or no, I don't want to be a part of that. Right? So in my case, in my case, I like to say I'm a motorcycle guy when it comes to community. Right? I love driving the motorcycle. I love flying down the road. I like zipping the air, going through my helmet. right? Thank you, Utah. Um, but as I'm driving my motorcycle, having a great time, guess what's happening to the gas in the tank? 
It's slowly running out. So as I'm hanging with people, I'm having a good time, but my fuel is slowly, slowly disappearing. And then all of a sudden I run out of gas, but I'm still on the motorcycle. So what do I do? I start pushing it, right? And that's where it becomes less fun for me. Because riding it is much better than pushing it. But the people are like the motorcycle. So I, I had fun, but now I'm stuck pushing in it. And it's in these moments when I'm pushing the bike, I need to kind of get over myself and maybe ask for help, right? Or I can be like, no, I'll just push it to the top hill and then I can ride it down the other side. But I can be very stubborn. The thing is, Matt, can you turn the, the volume down just a smidge? It feels very echoey to me. Sorry. Um, the thing is, we just have these experiences, and with all of us, we have the same needs. We have this gas tank, and it doesn't matter what part of this experience of community we're in. We're either filling up the tank or the tank is being emptied. But to say that with your, when you're with people or near this experience, one is good or one is bad for everybody, it's impossible to say because we all have different needs. And that's why we're digging into this series, which is going to be a four-week series, a new series called Plugged In. And I thought it was really fun to, that God would say, hey, let's talk about community after you just went through a season where you want to be alone. I was like, good one, God. Let's talk about being with people when I don't <laughs> want to be, right? Um, but actually, I do. Now that everybody's gone, I feel much better. So we're going to look at, that sounded really mean. I love my family and my wife's family. That just was a lot of them at one time. And uh, like I said, it wasn't them. It's just that my, my gas tank ran out. So we're digging into this. And I'm hoping in this series that we're going to see the benefits of community and also the difficulties of community. Because jumping in and plugging in is both good, but it sometimes is not without its pain. So in looking into this, I'm hoping we come into a place where we understand what healthy community looks like. And in digging into this series, God laid a verse on my heart that is actually the theme verse for this whole, whole series and it's John 17, 20 through 21. And Jesus is having this conversation with, with the Father saying this. I'm praying not only for these disciples, the ones he's working with right now, but also for all who ever will believe in me through their message. So praying for every single one of us. That includes you and me right there. This is where Jesus is praying for us in person. And I pray that they will all be one. Pretty significant. They will all be one. Why? Because just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Really making this a big connection. The Father and the Son being super connected, hoping that we will be that same way. It's pretty intense. And may they be in us, connected to him, so that the world will believe you sent me. There's a, there's a lot to unpack in that. And throughout this series, we're going to like, what does that mean to be one when we're so different. The, the tagline for this, this series plugged in is, they'll know we are Christians, which if you've been around the church at all, you know the song, they'll know we are Christians by our sweet church building and stained glass windows and sweet oak pews. No? By our, by our love, which means there's going to be this relational connection going on, right? And when we think about this, we have to remind ourselves, what is a church? The church is the people. If you're newer to Lakeview, then I would encourage you, we did a series on this called Rethink Church where we talked about church is the people, and therefore, they'll know who he is 
They'll know we are Christians because of our interaction with people. I think that's pretty significant. It's, it's kind of the way God designed us. And the world will, be, will believe and see Jesus through the community we have together, through him. And he's created us for this reason. So our series thesis for this, the next four weeks is being connected becomes the greatest reflection of God's design for us. You know, we're, we're told that we are created in his image. His image starts with this original community of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, a conversation that's been going on for all of eternity as they've been connected in community. So if we are created in his image, we should be a reflection of that. It puts a little bit of a challenge on the American way of thinking of being kind of a, a lone wolf or my way or the highway. And in fact, Americans really do struggle with this. I, I was reading this, this little survey that was done, and it says 46% of Americans either sometimes feel alone or always feel alone. 46%. 47% feel like they don't fit in or they feel like they get left out, right? And, and I think it's partially because in America, we, we kind of develop this mentality of we try to do everything on our own. We try to do it by ourselves, trying to show that I, I am fully capable on one side of it. And then on the other side, there's, there's a whole group of us that expect everybody else to do something for us, right? Whether it's the government or a neighbor or whatever, you're going to do this for me. Like, that attitude exists at all, as well. Um, or we expect that everybody has to think just like us. So these are kind of attitudes that are very much part of our American makeup. And, and that can be really challenging because it makes community really difficult. Because I don't know if, if you're like me, I really enjoy being around people who, who make comments that take the things I really value and say they're ludicrous and juvenile. Like, I love being a part of those conversations, Right? I, I take something really important and the people I'm sitting around with at the table, they don't think like me or they don't agree with me and they start putting it down like, man, that, that just builds my day. But that's the world we live in because we have so many different, unique people that think differently. And the unfortunate part is we start believing this lie in America that we need to be around people that think like us or, or be with us and then we lose the ability to connect with people who think differently than us. And I'm hoping that we can dig into this and, and learn what the art of being a good Christ-centered community looks like and understand why it's so important. And even these things that I just mentioned, I actually think they're okay. Like being a, somebody who wants to accomplish something and get it done on their own or somebody who actually reaches out and needs help. I think when they're not presented in their extremes, there's actually really good things about that. But we just need to be aware of when it's time to invite people in for help or step up on my own, right? It's okay to ask for people to help us, but sometimes there's also a point where we have to recognize this is maybe something I need to step up and take care of myself while some people support me. Or it's okay to get something done on your own, but you need to invite people in on occasion for their benefit and yours to help you out with it. So in my case, what do I do when I run out of steam over the holidays? Like in that situation, what do I do? Well, do I ask my wife for help? It's much easier when it's my family versus hers, right? Or do I, do I try and fight it on my own? Do I try and battle through it? It's like, I know I should have a good attitude. I know it's, it's midnight and we want to start another game and I'm tired and I want to go to bed, but 
if I leave this game, how are they going to feel in this moment, right? I don't want them to think I don't want to be with them. So what do I do? Do I power through it? Do I go it alone? Do I seek out help? How do I know when I engage or when I disengage? These are questions that I've struggled with. And the answer is probably a little bit of both, right? It's probably a little bit of both. And sometimes depending on our personality, that determines what we're going to do with this. The thing is, in every situation, though, which gets us to the key point, the main thing we're going to be looking at today is it requires both strength and courage to do that because you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable place. Now, the truth is, when it comes to community, we all benefit from being cheered on and supported even if we're doing it alone, right? People who run track, when they get to that final end of the race, they're cheering from the people cheering in the stands, that's motivating. That's exciting. They ran the race by themselves. They didn't carry everybody, but they ran the race, and they're being cheered on. That's pretty special. It's beneficial. We all benefit from friends or family on the other side coming alongside us when we don't have the strength to stand on our own two feet. We all benefit from that. In those two scenarios in which we have, we benefit from being with people. It's the kind of support system God's designed for us, and it's the kind of support system he wants for us. We have these needs. He's trying to help us fulfill it. But the hard thing is, um, in America, we typically think one way, and Jesus is asking us to do something a little bit different. And that's because Jesus looks at the world of community a little differently. And my first point for today, point number one, people who understand the community of God are not rational. So if you've been following me so far, you're kind of thinking this through, you're going through your different relationships and different experiences, and you're thinking how you've interacted and maybe how you could do better or maybe situations where you failed. If you're like me, you're thinking through your experiences. Now, if you're thinking rational as in like, Phil, I need to, I need to actually process what I'm doing, let me, let me give you a couple pictures. The community of God is a little bit irrational when it comes to things like this when there's that person standing on the street corner needing a little bit of help, we rationalize. Well, they don't need the money. Or this is kind of their own fault. Or maybe they deserve this. We can get ourselves in this. We can rationalize our way out of helping them, right? Or we have that coworker who's struggling with something and they just need somebody to talk to. And then we go, well, maybe there's somebody else besides me. Surely they can talk to someone else. We rationalize our way out of these situations. Or when you're stuck with with family for a long period of time, who you do love and do enjoy, you go like, yeah, I'll see him soon. I'm going to go to bed, right? Or I might rationalize like, I need to go to bed and they need to go. Like we start processing it. But the thing about the Christian community, it often involves sacrifice. It often involves giving something up. The examples I gave you, now we can go down a lot of different paths with those, but we're going to focus on something a little bit differently, and it's a story that Jesus brings us to this interesting piece of community doing something significant that involves strength and courage. And this, this text we're going to look at is where some friends bring a paralyzed friend to Jesus and ask him for help, and in the way they do it, it's really quite interesting. You may have heard this story plenty of times, or this might be the first time with you uh, getting into it, but they're in a city called Capernaum, which is about 100, 120 miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, this is how it goes down. It's actually really fascinating to me. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying, here we go, was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Doesn't that sound delightful to you, introverts? 
Okay? While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him in to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. <laughs> what? <laughs> you guys ever stop and think about that for a second? If you've known this story, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, yeah they just dug a hole, dropped them through the ceiling. That's totally cool. How would you like it if we came and dropped a person through the roof of your house? Right? Because they, uh, they dug a hole and went through. They lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on here. When I'm talking about being rational, this is very irrational. In fact, if I was one of those people, I don't like lines, and I don't like crowds, and I'd bring my friend along on the mat and be like, ah, well, maybe next time, right? Or maybe we'll come back later, or yeah, it's probably not a good time. I guess we could hang out over here and not do that. And if I'm the paralyzed guy, I'm like, yeah, that is kind of inconvenient to you, isn't it? Well, yeah, let's just skip it. And then one of our friends says, no, no, let's just go up on the roof and cut a hole through it and drop you through. Makes sense, right? You guys tracking with me on this? <laughs> now, just a side note, I assume they offered to fix the roof after this little meeting. Or perhaps this maybe it's one of those miracles that Jesus, like we, Jesus did, but we didn't hear about. Like, he was a carpenter, right? So, I'm sure he fixed it. But his response, either way, his response is super exciting. He says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Just such a, a neat thing. Now, I always ask, like, who's he talking about? Seeing whose faith? The friend's? Or the paralyzed guy? Probably both. But it's, it's really exciting that this community came together and the one in need and the ones who have the ability to take care of that need. You have both people, the, ones who need, the one who needs something and the ones who have the ability to bring you know, value and fulfillment to that need. They work together. Now, like I said, they could have easily rationalized their way out of this. Right? The line's too long. It's somebody's house. Like, but no, irrational. Let's cut a hole, drop them through. And then Jesus does this, and it's super exciting. They had faith that Jesus was going to do something miraculous in their lives. They have faith in this. They believed in it. So they did something completely irrational. Now, it took strength, and it took courage to do this. Because this is something completely out of the norm. They had to go above and beyond. And my second point is when it comes to courage, courage is a matter of the heart. In fact, the word courage comes from the Latin word core, which literally means heart. And courage used to be defined this way. It's to speak one's mind by telling all his heart. That's how it used to be defined. Nowadays, it just typically means an act of bravery or, or hero, heroism to most people. But if we actually look at the definitions, they say this, the ability to do something that frightens one. Typically, we call it a little bit irrational, Right? or strength in the face of pain or grief. Courage is a matter of the heart. Where is your heart guiding you? What's it leading you into? You're frightened of something. You shouldn't do it, but you do. Many of us got married that way, right? Took a little courage. Or when we're in something that's really painful or difficult, courage is the strength to face it. It's a matter of the heart. Now, I, I do want to point something out. When it comes to doing things irrational, that doesn't mean we do it without wisdom. 
right? I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying go out and throw your life away because, you know, Pastor Phil said we need to be irrational and go do something completely out of bounds in the community. There is wisdom in it. But the point of this is how do you discern when to and when not to and when you're being rational and when you're being irrational and when it's being focused on God? Well, if courage is a matter of the heart, then where is your heart in the matter? What is your motivation? If your motivation not to help the man on the corner is because they don't need the money, what strings have you attached to the gift? Does it have to do with your own personal views and your own greed, potentially? Or does it mean that you have some other value or other method in which way you want to help them out? Maybe it's time, maybe it's not the right place. But where's your heart in the matter? Because maybe in this moment you should be helping them, but your head is telling you you shouldn't because of an American lone wolf viewpoint. Or maybe it's because you shouldn't be giving them money, but you should help them get to the place they need to go. So when I'm saying irrational, I'm not saying do it without wisdom, but I'm saying check your heart. Where is your heart in the matter? With that coworker who's struggling, where is your heart in the matter? Is it because it's an inconvenience to you? Or maybe you really truly don't feel qualified, but you can maybe help point them to someone who can. If you're following me on this, the goal is always to focus on where our heart is. Our heart should be on Jesus. Is our heart aligned with Jesus? And jumping back into the story, we have some religious leaders who struggle very much with what Jesus did. And this is what it says about them. Mark 2, 6 through 7. But some teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Jesus has just said your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Think about this. Here's these religious people who have this whole viewpoint. They understand this is the way the world works. This is the way God works. And then here's this man who says your sins are forgiven. You can't do that. They've been waiting for a Messiah for centuries. The Jewish people have. And all of a sudden this guy shows up and he says this. This is completely completely out of their box, out of their way of thinking, makes them unbelievably uncomfortable. And yet, this is a community they're in because they're in with this group of people. And they struggle. And then Jesus goes right to it because Jesus, being God, knows exactly what they're thinking. And he says this, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this where? In your hearts. Just check your heart. Where are you at with this? Could you, could you be helping? Is there a need? Was this need met? Was this an interesting piece? Like, where's your heart in all of this? Is it, and then this word, classic Jesus. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? A little rationalized moment here. They're thinking, okay, what is, what is, what is he talking? Is this a trick? What do you, we got a hole in the roof, this guy on the floor, and you're saying you can forgive his sins, and now you're saying you're going to pick up his mat? Yeah, I don't think so. We follow along, so Jesus says this, so I will prove, you, prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. We're all sitting here watching, right? In this moment. And then the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praising God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And it's that last line to me, this is an amazing story. Like, he heals the paralyzed man. That's really exciting. Do you know the God who did that then still exists today? And it's okay for us to ask for healing of physical things. 
But what I love about this is the last sentence that is in that passage which says, we've never seen anything like this before. Is that not what we want the world to see of the Christian community? Is that not what we want the world to see of who Jesus is? Is that not the importance of being connected to each other, taking care of each other's needs, and caring for our community? Not just here, but out there as well. Why is Lakeview connected to a global community? Why is Lakeview connected to a national community? Why do we care about more than just happens here in this building? Because the church is the people. And it's a community that comes together and looks at, takes a courage that is a matter of the heart and says, we are going to do something pretty exceptional and irrational because we love Jesus, because we've had the price paid for us. I just, I like to think for a moment, like, as this happens and this guy gets up and he walks out of this space of being paralyzed and, and Jesus goes, huh, rationalize that, right? It doesn't make any sense. And Jesus always takes this thing when we get comfortable, when we get things figured out, he takes it and he just stands it on his head. Because he says at the end of the day, we understand that Jesus paid a price for us because he loves us. He's paid the price for our sin, you know, and he didn't do it so that we could live a life of flippant sinning. He made it, did it so that we can live a life free of sin and share that freedom with the world. So when it comes to this community and this need piece of us taking courage, like look at the, what these guys did. It leads me to point number three, engage your heart into what Jesus designed you for. You have these friends who do something very courageous, or, you know, some of us would say it's stupid, right? And, and as I'm giving examples, and as you're thinking about this rational, irrational concept, you're like, you're probably thinking of things that this is ridiculous. Well, these friends did something ridiculous. They brought their friends, and they cut a hole in somebody else's roof and dropped them through there to Jesus. And you know what? And Jesus forgives him. And then Jesus does something ridiculous. He heals the man. Gives him his legs back. And the guy walks out. And it's interesting that in this moment, Jesus didn't actually start with physical healing, I would like to point out. He did spiritual healing. And in fact, when I pray for physical healing for someone, I believe God can heal that person, and sometimes he does. But I always believe God will always spiritually heal that person. There's always that benefit. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't physically heal the man until it was there for everybody else to see. His moment was spiritual healing first for the individual, physical healing second for the individual, for everybody else to experience it. But the coolest thing is that the community came together. These guys pursued Jesus. It took their strength, it took their courage to do something completely irrational, but at the heart of what they were doing is they were pursuing and trusting who Jesus was and what he would do. It's very significant. So, all that to say, engage your heart into what Jesus designed you for. It. You need to be in community. Sometimes it takes courage. Sometimes it takes strength. And I have my family over, and I love them. And it was great. I was worn out. It took a little bit of extra strength. It was like pushing the bike down the road. But you know what? They're worth it. Sometimes we just got to push the bike. Now, I wish I had the forethought to ask Melissa for a little bit of help because that would have taken a little bit of humility, which also takes a little bit of courage to say, hey, honey, can you help me out? I'm struggling with all this time. Can I have a time out? But I didn't want to do that because I was a little bit more cowardly. It would have taken courage to ask her for help, and I know she would have given it. 
But we need community. I like how Proverbs says this when it comes to community. If you're looking at it, you're going to end up in a place of mess. I love this verse. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. This is actually a great message, a Bible verse on marriage and children as well. <laughs> right? If you have no animals, you have a clean stall. If you have no oxen, you have a clean barn. No smell, none of that stuff. But the rest of Proverbs 14.4, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. And there you go. We have this need for community. Sometimes it takes courage. Sometimes it takes strength. Sometimes we get strength from community as we come together and help each other. But sometimes we need courage to engage with the community because it feels uncomfortable or it feels dirty, it feels unclean, or it's challenging. Ecclesiastes follows up with this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. little side note on this verse. It's used at many weddings God, bridegroom, they're all tangled together. And I think it's really significant. But I also want to point out that a strand of three cords is not easily broken. We're not invincible. It doesn't mean we're not going to be attacked. It doesn't mean we're not going to have pain. It doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging. It doesn't mean that you're going to go to your first small group and it's not going to be weird. Right? Hopefully it's not. But what it shows us is there's strength and we need that strength. We need to be connected. And my hope through this series is that you, we are start understanding the benefits of being in a Christ-like, Christ-centered community. We gain the ability to do some incredible things when we put our hearts towards Jesus. Being relationally connected is a need we have. To what level or how that goes, it depends. You know, in the small group experience, you might go to a small group and you might be in the same room with somebody who politically disagrees with you. You might be in that small group with somebody who just, they just talk, 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 talk. That's if you're with me. Um, or you're with somebody who doesn't want to talk that much. You're going to be with people that are different. And some people are going to open up and share more, and some people are going to share less. But we're all different, and yet we come together and we benefit. We want our church to be plugged into community with each other because this is how God has designed us. Or that worship experience, when you understand the need of having Jesus at the center point, this is my argument to every single church and every single community, that it doesn't matter how you worship Jesus, he's still the one you worship. Not the music, not the music style, not the way the pastor preaches, not the building, not the chairs. You worship Jesus. And where is Jesus not worthy of being worshipped? He's worthy of being worshipped everywhere in every circumstance. So me on the, me on the motorcycle, bringing it back all together, you know, when my gas tank is being emptied out, uh, when it's full, I love giving people rides. When it's not full, I need to ask for help. Help me push this to the nearest gas pump. And if you got, if you got your credit card, Melissa, can you fill it up for me? Right? Let me invite the band up as we wrap up here. What I'm curious about for us today is these characters in this story. We have the friends who in their courage and in their strength lower their friend through the roof. They see an obstacle and they see something that should rationally stop them. But the community of God is irrational and they break through and they do something significant. We see the courage of the paralyzed man who asks his friends for help, I'm assuming. Right? And we also see the Pharisees 
who see something pretty spectacular, but because of the way they viewed the world, because of their experiences, they can't see past it. And in their hearts, they struggle with Jesus being different than the God they've built for themselves. And I guess my question for you is, out of these people, who do you connect with the most today? And the reality is, out of all of them, we all need courage. And that courage only comes from Christ. And that will help us do the right thing. Uh, this week in, in my shape journaling, I came across Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And it's a, a, a passage where Paul talks about how strong he is, how he has his strength in Christ. And we read this and we get really encouraged. But it ends, ends with something that I think is significant. So let me read it to you. I know how to live in almost... I live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the lone wolf. He's got it. He's got the strength. Let's cheer him on. But then it goes to this. It says, Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As he writes from prison, he still, even though has the ability to do everything on his own, he welcomes the community. The bottom line today, my friends, is together we have the ability to accomplish, survive, and thrive in the most difficult and incredible circumstances. And that is a gift only Jesus can bring, but we all get to partake in. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. God, I ask for strength and courage as we engage in community. For some of us, there's a need to plug in somewhere. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's in a ministry. Maybe it's in women's ministry, men's ministry, prayer ministry, serving in kids. Maybe it's just with our family. Maybe we're disconnected with our family in one way or the other, and, and we need to engage, God. Help us to check our heart and our motivation but help us be a part of the community that you designed for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.